Chapter 12 that we read is this long stop in the march of Exodus. Can you imagine the people who were living through this? They, they had lived through flies and locusts, blood and death. One of the things about the ten plagues is that they are mocking the gods of Egypt. When I went to Egypt for the first Gulf War and before the war actually started, we got to go on a lot of cultural and, and you know visit places. And I went to the, um, the Pharaonic village, the village of the pharaohs. But you got in a boat in the Nile River and crossed the Nile and went into the marshes. And you would stop. And they literally had this God, this God, this God, and this God that they would tell you about. And all of a sudden I'm thinking, okay, that's that plague, that's that plague, that's that plague, that's that, you know. You're seeing visually what was going on. And certainly in the people in Egypt, both the Egyptians and the Jewish people, when they're looking and they're wondering, what's going to happen? Because they're wondering, when are they going to change their minds? What's it going to take? In, when we read Old Testament passages, I want to just go back and remind us why they're important to us. When you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11, it says, Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. You see, the people that live through it are one audience. And then it's written for another audience in the coming generations. And Paul says things in the Old Testament are written specifically for our instruction. Now, it's interesting when we come here to the 10th plague, because it's the only plague where you have this drama, this interaction, where the slaves respond in faith to put blood over their doorposts to protect them. Anyone with blood. And the risk is really high. I mean, God has forewarned nine times, this is what I'm going to do, and they say, we don't care. The tenth time, I'm going to take the firstborn of your families, of your herds, but I'm going to give you a way out. And then he lists this detailed instructions about slaughtering the lamb, keeping it, and then slaughtering it. If you don't have enough for your family, you go with somebody else. You get a portions. You know, it's, it's like when, they, when we think, when you and I think portions today, I wonder what the portions, was it eight ounces or ten ounces of lamb? I mean, I don't know. But you were supposed to have enough for everybody. And the Egyptians were catching on that God was doing something because the nine... Plagues were very public. And so when the, the Hebrews would have come out in their basins and their little whisks and put blood 
on the door frame, on the lint, you know, the lintel and the sides. The neighbors would come out and say, "What are you doing that for?" They would explain. See, we know that some of the, the Egyptians said, hey, I'm doing that because they're the ones, the Egyptians that you see later on in Exodus, they're the ones who left. By faith, they had put the blood and then they followed. You see, that's, we live in a world like that where we have God's word. We tell people what God wants us to do, but they don't want to listen. My first major thing that I want you to remember starts here in verse 1. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, we have to remember that all of this, as in all of our lives, starts off with God's revelation that God has spoken. God first spoke and created, and now he is speaking in terms of redemption. The Lord said to Moses and to Aaron, Verse 28 says, And the people of Israel went and did so, as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. See, the word of God is meant to guide us, to protect us. Can, can you imagine the neighbors, the, the Hebrews, they're hearing this and they're saying, you know, God kept his word nine times. He says there's going to be flies, there's going to be locusts, there's going to be frogs, there's going to be blood. There's going to be dead animals. And now he's saying the way to avoid death is by putting blood, a sacrifice. Publicly, we're going to talk about that public aspect of it. But God, through his revelation, through his prophets, Moses and Aaron tells the people how to respond in faith to the word of God. And when we look at this passage, we see that it really is about worship, because why did Moses go to Pharaoh and say, this is why the people want to go? And he says, we're going to go to worship our God, and we need to take everything with us. See, it wasn't just about getting free. It wasn't just about changing their lifestyle. It was about worship. And so God is beginning to reveal how he wants his people to worship, how they want them to come in faith. Listen to the details in verse 7. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintels of the house in which they eat. They shall eat the flesh that night, roast it on the fire, the unleavened bread, bitter herbs, shall they eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted its head and its legs and its inner parts. And you shall then let none of them remain until morning. Anything that remains until morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. Do you see the details? The unleavened bread, 
Now, Passover was a Passover that, once they got into the land, was associated with the barley harvest. Because barley, you can create yeast the fastest out of of all the grains that that you would have uh, yeast from. Because you have to cleanse the house. You see how it's starting to say, this is God, how God wants you to live. Verse 13 says, the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. The blood will be a sign to you. Where do we have that sign of blood today? We have it in the communion cup. This cup is the blood that I shed for the forgiveness of sins. This is the cup of the covenant. Remember in the creation fall story, in the fall, God shed the blood of the animals to cover them with the the skins. And now God says, okay, we're going to start learning about sacrifice. We're going to learn about a substitute. But it's going to be a sign. It's going to mean something. Verse 23 says, For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when when he sees the blood on the lintel and the two posts, the Lord will pass over that door and not allow the destroyer to enter your house to strike you. You shall observe this right as a statue for you and for your sons forever. You see, it's, it's passing it on. Now, what is very important here is that this is a household act of worship. Once you slaughter the lamb, you don't go outside until the morning. You stay inside. You cook it with the unleavened bread, with the bitter herbs. It is a public statement to all your neighbors, both in the Hebrew community and outside of the Hebrew community, that you're waiting for God to bring death. See, that is one of the things that that sometimes is very hard when we talk about Christianity, when we talk about Christ to people. To help them be willing to say that I have sinned and I need the blood of Christ to cover my sins. That is why we have the confession of sin, the assurance of pardon every week to remind us of God's grace in our own lives, in our community. That we are only saved because of what Christ has done. Our sins are only forgiven because of what Christ has done. But that they can worship God, they can be identified with God in their homes. Because that brings it up to my final concern is the idea of passing it on to the next generation. 
Now, we think about children, we think about the households. Let's go back to verse 3 again. Tell all the congregation of Israel, on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take, according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male a year old. You may take it from the sheep, from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of the month. The whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill the lambs at twilight. You see this? All the households are doing the same thing at the same time because they're obeying the word of God, the same thing. Now, When we think about Easter and its relationship to Passover, that it really is a springtime event of God's grace, because you know it's it's an agricultural community that's that's doing this. And so, what are two springtime things that come together here? Is well, I've already talked about the barley harvest. But when you go out and you see the sheep being gathered together, what are we waiting for? We're waiting for lambing. And so the Passover would have an abundance of one-year-old lambs for families to take. So God brings together their agricultural culture into his, his worship through the lambs, through the bread, through the yeast. Verse 14 says, this day shall be a memorial. You shall keep it as a feast of the Lord through all your generations. As a statue forever, you shall keep it as a feast. You shall observe the rite and statue as you, you and your sons forever. And when you come into the land where the Lord will give you as he has promised you, you shall keep this service And here's what I'm going to stop on. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? And you shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for he passed over the houses of the people of Israel when he struck the Egyptians but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshipped. You see, there's going to come a generation that's going to not have lived through that first Passover. The next generation after they have left Egypt and they're going to be doing this ceremony and the children are going to say, why do we do this? See, what God is saying here is that we need to have these households discussions about God's acts of grace, about God's mercy, about what God has done. And when children grow up observing their parents being religious and being brought into the ceremonies, being brought into the prayers, it's because the Lord has provided the Passover. The Lord has provided Jesus Christ. And sometimes it's really hard to talk to our young people about faith, about Jesus Christ, about their own lives. 
Because if, they, if they've come to church and they've gone through the liturgy and they understand about confessing sin and all of a sudden that comes into their own lives, that means I need to be willing to do that just like the pastor needs to be willing to confess his sin. And to know and to accept that if I confess my sin, it will be covered. The Lord will pass over. Think of all those images that we've already sung. That ocean that has no bottom and no shore is where our sins are cast, is one of the images that we used. You see, a public faith comes from living out of the word of God, resulting in a life of freedom. They were all dressed, ready to go. When I am chided for eating fast, I say, that's just the Passover. (laughs) Because this broke the Egyptian people. When people died, when animals died. Get out of there, get out of here. Now some of the Egyptians went with them. Because they say, these people, they know where life is. See, we live in a world where there's a lot of sorrow and pain and confusion, where there is anxiety and loneliness. But yet Christ, who is our Passover, helps us deal with anxiety and loneliness, helps us deal with sin and shame. See, that's one of the things that, that you, you work through in your journey of faith to get to that point where you say, yes, God can really forgive all of my sins. Because sometimes, if you're like me, I was at a place of, I can't forgive myself, why would God forgive me? See, I had to flip that around and say, God has forgiven me, so I need to forgive me. I can't take the place of God, otherwise I'm creating an idol. Remember what we read from Isaiah, that awesome image? You know, go home, find a piece of firewood, set it there, and think about that passage. Think about what we sometimes turn into idols to take the place of God. We need to say no. So we have the word of God, we have the mercy of God shown in the blood to pass it on to the next generation as we publicly respond to the word of God. In this series, we're going to spend a lot of our time listening to Jesus get us ready for the cross. And see, we know from how Jesus did it that, you know, here you have Jesus explaining to his people what he's going to do, and they don't get it. They don't get it until after he's raised from the dead. That was one of the things that Rico Tice said to do. He says, when you train people for evangelism, get them ready for, at minimum, 80% rejection. Because he has all these numbers about who will listen and things like that. 
He says, you've got to train people to be willing to be rejected and to be hurt, to have relationships disrupted because of Christ. But it's because you love them that you keep coming back with Christ for that person. Because that's what they need, because you know that's what I needed, was to have Christ in my life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you provided the blood of the Lamb. It turned away the wrath. We thank you, Jesus, that you took the wrath of God, that you died in our place so that we might live, that we might become the children of God, to become joint heirs with you, to have our sins forgiven. Help us not to run away and hide in shame, but help us in our own hearts through your word and through your spirit to be willing to confess that sin, knowing that you are faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins. So as we look forward to Easter and that time of resurrection, knowing that the resurrection comes after the sacrifice. And so we pray this week, that you might give us things to look at and to think at in word, Scripture so that we don't try to create something in your place. We pray these things, Jesus, in your name. Amen.